This is Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget. Chapter 17. Through the Trap Door. First year exams were harder than Draco had expected. They had been terrifying the first time around, nearly paralysed by fear he would finish in their year behind Granger and what his father would say. He expected to breeze through this time but the written ones in that awful sweltering oven of a room were nearly as exhausting as in the blue loop. It seemed he'd been lackadaisical in his approach to studying, hardly focused for most of the weeks before exams with Potter at their table. He looked at his history of magic exam in particular, and for a long stretch could barely even remember what a goblin was. If he failed it outright, though, he would just blame it on a lingering concussion. He had done so much worse this year to anger his father than simply scoring lower on exams than a muggle-born girl. The practical exams were embarrassingly easy by comparison. He made Flitwick's pineapple tap dance. He made McGonagall's mouse into a snuff box, which his extra transfiguration work at Christmas had made an exciting task, to the point she declared his box one of the most beautiful she had ever seen in her exam. He had gone rather overboard with the African turquoise, he had to confess, but he'd been bored. And the forgetfulness potion for Severus was so easy he could have made both his own and Longbottom's for him, if he hadn't been too sure Severus would catch him. Potter was a mess throughout, having nightmares about Voldemort and getting more and more paranoid. Draco did know Potter's trio would end up in some kind of danger by the end of the year, from all the house points they won last minute so he couldn't exactly call it irrational, that paranoia. He was more irked by Granger, who emerged from her history of magic exam hummingly content. That was far easier than I thought it would be, she told him as she passed by in the courtyard. He nobly resisted the urge to try out the Densolgio drinks on her. The end of exams was strangely morbid for him in contrast to the childish elation it gave everyone else. He realised the anxiety that had come to slowly oppress him more with each exam completed was not for his marks, but the progression in time they represented. What scared him wasn't Potter facing the Dark Lord this year. He had faith he'd managed not to mess up the Blue Loop too much. It should still turn out fine for his Gryffindor idiots. What bothered him was that what came afterwards for himself. Facing a weakened Voldemort seemed roughly commensurate with if not slightly edged out by, the prospect of facing his father. He skipped the great hall for dinner, getting food from the house elves. He was lying in bed aimlessly tossing his wand up and down in the air, until late that night when Theo's voice called out to him. He waved his wand to open his curtains without sitting up, looking over at Theo and wondering what sort of things Theo had written about Draco to his father over the year. Why hadn't Draco been actively threatening him and his friends against it? If this isn't important, Theo, Draco sighed with a yawn, I won't be pleased, you know. The attraction of seeing your face is not quite enough to justify disturbing my practice at blood magic. Theo went pale, even worse at telling when Draco was joking than Weasley. Oh, uh, sorry, it's just... There's Gryffindors for you at the common room entrance, out after curfew, and not just one this time, loads of them. Draco frowned. Why didn't you just tell on them and get them in trouble? 
They're your friends, Theo said weakly. It was clear it was not Slytherin's solidarity, but fear of Draco's retribution that had kept Theo silent. What? Draco yawned to Potter's trio as he joined them outside the entrance. Could possibly be important enough to justify disturbing my practice at blood magic. Oh, the mystical blood magic of Dreadlord Grindelwald? Weasley quipped, and they both burst out laughing while Potter and Granger looked disapproving. Draco? Granger hissed. You weren't at dinner, and we need to talk to you. We found out something important, and we need your help now. It could not possibly be more important than reviewing shield charms for different dark curses he'd seen Father perform. Well, I happen to be extremely busy. Don't you think I've performed more than enough charity assisting hapless Gryffindors for several lifetimes? Can you, for once, Potter hissed, shut your stupid, stuck-up, Slytherin mouth and listen? Let me. He'll listen to me. So... Granger told him in her rapid way as he pulled them to a remote nook of the dungeon labyrinth. Hagrid told a stranger about how to get past Fluffy with a lullaby when he got drunk and bought the dragon egg. A hooded one we think is after the stone. And we tried to go to Dumbledore about it, but he isn't here. He's off at the Ministry, and Professor McGonagall wouldn't listen to us. She said the stone can't be stolen, but now we know it can. And we think the thief will go through the trapdoor tonight because Dumbledore's missing. We should tell Professor Snape, Draco said, only for the others to glare at him. You know we think it's him who's after it, Granger hissed, and I tried to keep a watch on him, but I lost him, and McGonagall won't let us watch the third floor corridor, so, so... So? Draco said with a sinking feeling he knew what was coming. So, Potter said, we're all going, right now, to get the stone before Snape can. We have the invisibility cloak, Weasley said, even though we had to petrify Neville to get it. It's a long story, Malfoy, anyway. So we're going now. Draco frowned. And you need to tell me all this why? What? Do you need my advice? My best wishes for your endeavour? Well, good luck, all of you. I hope when they find your bodies, at least some of the entrails haven't been removed. You're coming with us, Potter said, as if there had never been a question, and pulled out the cloak like he expected Draco to get under it. That, that won't fit four, Draco stammered. It'll just be a tight fit, Draco, Granger said impatiently. Come on, we don't have time to dawdle any more. Why? Draco said in utter disbelief. Do you all think that I would ever, in a million years, consider accompanying you on this suicide mission? We need you, Granger said, voice making it sound obvious. You're the best in our year with curses, Frankenstein. You have all kinds of experience with complicated magic, and Snape has always seemed fond of you. Maybe he'd hesitate longer to kill you than the rest of us. It's not Snape! Draco shrieked, loud enough half of the dungeons probably heard. Then why won't you come with us? demanded Potter, and Draco crossed his arms, tongue locked from saying most of what he was thinking. I wasn't there the first time. I'd probably ruin the blue loop and get us all killed, and also, I'm scared.
What are you, scared to face Voldemort? Don't say the name, Draco hissed. Guess so, Potter sneered in that crisp, pretty voice. Already twice the man Malfoy had ever been at only eleven. When he stared at Draco's mouth, Draco's lip twitched uncontrollably because of course he was scared. Everyone had to know that, but Draco shook his head. Potter's grip was sure on Draco's shoulders as he took them in hand. You're going home to your father soon, aren't you, Draco? What are you, scared of him? Of what he'll say if he finds out you went against his side? He was a follower of Voldemort's, wasn't he? What, are you the same? He held on to Draco, and Draco tried to look away, but Potter wouldn't let him. This is ridiculous, Draco breathed. I don't have to prove anything to you, Potter. Don't you want to, though? Potter interrupted. Don't you want to prove you aren't like your father? Draco froze, and Potter pressed his advantage. This is it, Draco, right now. Which side are you on? Draco had no idea. Maybe he never had. I don't have to answer to you, Draco said tonelessly. I don't care what you think of me. And Potter shook his head intensity sparking between them so much that Draco could practically feel Potter's magic brushing against his, like it was trying to push in. You don't scare me, Draco Malfoy, Potter whispered, breath a shiver over Draco's lips, and Draco shuddered, turning his face aside to keep from falling apart. You don't, and you don't fool me either. Potter's hand touched Draco's cheek, turning it back towards his Avada Kedavra eyes, and Draco saw death in them more clearly than ever before. We all know you're coming, so stop wasting time. Potter let go, and silently Draco fell into step behind him. When Weasley pulled out the invisibility cloak, just managing to drape it over the four of them, Draco let it swallow him. they just missed Peeves going past, and a few seconds later they were there, Outside the third-floor corridor, and the door was already ajar. Well, there you are, Potter said quietly. Snape's already got past Fluffy. It was too much effort at that point to correct him. Draco left it, and looked forward to re receiving all their forfeits, if they survived long enough to perform them. Underneath the cloak, Potter turned to the other two. If you want to go back, I won't blame you now, he said. You can take the cloak, I won't need it now. All right, Potter, thank you, Draco began, only for Potter to roll his eyes. Not you, Potter said. You're coming. I mean those two. But Weasley and Granger seemed as annoyed to be potentially sent away as Draco had been relieved. Don't be stupid, said Weasley. We're coming, said Granger. Potter led them into the corridor. As the door creaked, low, rumbling growls met their ears. And then Draco saw some hideous mass of flesh, masquerading as a dog, as tall as the mirror of Erised, with three pairs of rolling mad eyes, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippery ropes from yellowish fangs, and three noses that sniffed madly in their direction, even though it couldn't see them. The sight of it almost made Draco cry out, before Potter put a hand over his mouth. What is that thing? Draco hissed, 
and the others seemed surprised to remember he'd never seen it before. Fluffy, Weasley offered helpfully. What's that at its feet? Granger whispered. Looks like a harp, said Ron. Snape must have left it there. It must wake up the moment you stop playing, said Harry. Well, here goes. He put Hagrid's flute to his lips and blew. It wasn't really a tune, but from the first note the beast's eyes began to droop. Draco supposed there was no accounting for taste. Slowly the dog's growl ceased. It tottered on its paws and fell to its knees. Then it slumped to the ground, fast asleep. Keep playing, Weasley warned Potter, as they slipped out of the cloak. Potter taking Draco's hand to pull him with them towards the trap door. The dog's breath made Draco shudder in revulsion as they approached its heads. I think we'll be able to pull the door open, said Ron, peering over the dog's back. Want to go first, Hermione? No, I don't. All right. Draco halfway expected them to make the Slytherin go first, but Weasley gritted his teeth and stepped carefully over the dog's legs. He bent and pulled the ring of the trap door, which swung up and open. What can you see? Granger said anxiously. Nothing, just black. There's no way of climbing down, we'll just have to drop. Or, Draco said irritably, we could use magic. They looked at him blankly. Come on then, I'll levitate you inside. That'll take too long. The dog is going to wake up, Potter said, handing the flute to Granger, and with a yelp, Draco found himself pulled down with him through the trap door, hurtling, falling, and then a thump, falling on what felt like a plant. He was still screaming when Potter shook him. Draco, we're fine. Be quiet so they can hear me. It's okay. It's a soft landing. You can jump. What is this plant? Draco gasped suspiciously. A childhood at Malfoy Manor had taught him not to trust mysterious plants any more than mysterious wands. But Weasley came flying down right away, as ordered, and landed sprawled next to Harry. "'What's this stuff?' were his first words. "'Dunno. Some sort of plant thing. I suppose it's here to break the fall. Come on, Hermione!' "'What is wrong with you Gryffindors. Before we're all down on it, we should figure out what this plant is. Granger had already jumped. She landed by Draco's side, and her presence made him feel calmer despite his dislike of leaping before looking. He reached out and touched her hand, feeling his fingers brush over turquoises. You're wearing this down into mortal peril. Granger pulled her wrist to her defensively. I read, she said primly, that turquoises give mental clarity, and someone's got to have that. We could hear you yelling from up there. Yeah, Weasley added helpfully. You were so loud we were scared you'd wake the dog. My ears are still ringing, Potter complained, and Granger looked around thoughtfully. We must be miles under the school, she said. Lucky this plant thing's here, really, said Weasley, but Draco felt a creeping sensation along his knee. Granger leapt up and struggled towards a damp wall. She had to, because the moment she had landed, the plant had started to twist snake-like tendrils around her ankles. As for the boys, their legs had already been bound in long creepers without them noticing. 
Oh no, Draco, it's fine. Don't worry about the mysterious unidentified plant under a trapdoor, enchanted to guard against intruders. We're Gryffindors. We can never die. I told you there was something wrong with the plant, Draco whined. Shut up, Draco, Potter yelled back. Maybe we would have figured it out if you hadn't been screaming your head off. Granger had managed to free herself before the plant got a firm grip on her, because apparently they were four instead of three, but still only had one working brain amongst them. Now she watched in horror, as the three boys fought to pull the plant off them, but the more they strained against it, the tighter and faster the plant wound around them. Stop moving, Granger ordered them. I know what this is. It's Devil's Snare. Draco had no idea what that was. It sounded like one of the deeper dungeons in Malfoy Manor. Oh, I'm so glad we know what it's called. That's a great help, snarled Weasley, leaning back, trying to stop the plant curling around his neck. Shut up. I'm trying to remember how to kill it, said Granger. Draco pulled out his wand and held his arm high, trying to keep it free of the tendrils and think of a spell but his brain seemed to have shut down. Well, hurry up! I can't breathe! Potter gasped, and Draco felt a sudden urgency he hadn't at feeling his own limbs be ensnared. Devil snare! Devil snare! What did Professor Sprout say? It likes the damp and the dark! So, light a fire! Potter choked, and Draco found his arm had gone immobile from vines before he had gotten himself together enough to use it. Oh, yes! He was proving invaluable indeed. Yes, of course, but there's no wood, Granger cried, wringing her hands. Have you gone mad? Ron bellowed. Are you a witch or not? Draco burst out laughing hysterically as Granger went, Oh, right, and then whipped out her wand, waved it, muttered something, and sent a jet of the same bluebell flames she had used on Snape at the plant. In a matter of seconds, the three boys felt it loosening its grip as it cringed away from the light and warmth. Wriggling and flailing, it unravelled itself from their bodies and they were able to pull free. Lucky you pay attention in herbology, Hermione, said Potter as he joined her by the wall, wiping sweat off his face. Yeah, said Weasley. And lucky Harry doesn't lose his head in a crisis. There's no wood, honestly. You all right there, Malfoy? Draco was gingerly attempting to extract his wand from a pit of mud. Once he had, he tried to think of how to cast a scourgeify on itself, then groaned, made a face, and shoved it into his pocket anyway. Sorry we didn't listen to you about the plants. Not much use of me being along if you don't listen anyway, huh? Draco sniped at Potter. Potter turned to glare at Draco rather than look down the stone passageway ahead of them. Oh, I don't know, Draco. Do you think that instead of just whining at everyone else, maybe the best wizard in our year at casting spells could have, I don't know, cast a spell? Boys, said Granger automatically and pointed them forward. There was water dripping down the walls, and Draco could feel the anxiety slowly mounting in his chest to the rhythm of that sound, until Weasley startled him and he nearly tripped over his own feet. Can you hear something? Weasley whispered, and Draco would have cussed him out, but he was right. 
There was some kind of rustling and clinking up ahead. Do you think it's a ghost? Don't be ridiculous, Potter. Ghosts make terrible guards. Sounds like wings to me. There's light ahead. I can see something moving. They reached the end of the passageway and saw before them a brilliantly lit chamber, its ceiling arching high above them. It was full of small, jewel-bright birds, fluttering and tumbling all around the room. On the opposite side of the chamber was a heavy wooden door. Do you think they'll attack us if we cross the room? said Weasley. What use are they if they don't? Draco sniped. So probably, said Harry. They don't look very vicious. But I suppose if they all swoop down at once, well, there's nothing for it. I'll run. Better him than me. Potter took a deep breath, covered his face with his arms and sprinted across the room. He reached the door untouched and pulled the handle, but it was locked. Reluctantly, Draco followed, for he wasn't entirely convinced that a creature wouldn't leave Potter unscathed and still go headlong for Draco Malfoy. But the birds ignored him as well, and he reached the other side, standing to watch Potter and Weasley tug and heave at the door. It wouldn't budge, not even when Granger tried her Alohomora charm. Do you know any other unlocking spells, Draco? she asked. Draco wrinkled his nose. Most of them involve blood, he said, and Weasley snorted. Don't think any of ours would qualify. Except maybe Draco's blood. But this setup with the birds looked nothing like something Severus would make. Now what? said Weasley. These birds? They can't be here just for decoration, said Granger. Draco stared up at them vacantly, wishing he had paid more attention in care of magical creatures, instead of just whispering uncreative insults about Hagrid to Vince and Greg. They're not birds, Potter said suddenly. They're keys, winged keys. Look carefully. So that must mean... He looked around while the other two squinted up at the flock of keys. Yes, look, broomsticks. We've got to catch the key to the door. Something like Quidditch. That was almost suspiciously well suited to Potter's skill set. But there are hundreds of them. Weasley examined the lock on the door. We're looking for a big old-fashioned one, probably silver like the handle. They seized a broomstick each and kicked off into the air, soaring into the midst of the cloud of keys. They grabbed and snatched, but the bewitched keys darted and dived so quickly it was almost impossible to catch one. Draco's trained seeker reflexes let him grab a couple in his palm, but when he flew over to show them to Weasley, he shook his head each time. Potter, though, was naturally the one to figure out the Quidditch task. It probably took him even less time than it had for him to catch the snitch in that five-minute Hufflepuff match. That one, Potter called, pointing. That big one, there, no there, with bright blue wings. The feathers are all crumpled on one side. Ron went speeding in the direction that Harry was pointing, crashed into the ceiling and nearly fell off his broom. Weasley, calm down, Draco yelled. Potter will get it. No, Potter called with annoyance in his voice. You're going to help me, Draco. You go over it, Ron and Hermione below, stay below and stop it going down, and then I'll catch it, right, now. Twelve-year-old Weasley wasn't much of a flyer yet, Granger less so but they still reacted more quickly to Potter's command than Draco. A moment after they flew into position, 
Draco sped over where Potter had commanded as well, embarrassment overshadowed by fear that his presence was an impediment to the Blue Loop's success. Potter was after it quickly, though, and with just as much ease as he always seemed to win against Draco, pinned the key against the wall. Weasley and Granger cheered from below. After a moment, Draco cheered gingerly too, as if he had contributed anything more than freezing up. It was what he always did with danger, freeze up if not outright flee. He didn't think he had in the Forbidden Forest, but the centaurs had saved him before he would ever know, and now he could see his own true colours. With meticulous planning, he could accomplish things like with the Vanishing Cabinet, but in the heat-of-the-moment confrontation, he was worse than useless. The passive approach had suited him best, because that was what he was, passive. Like when he had stood watching Dumbledore on the tower, unable to kill him or go against the Death Eaters, just waiting for other people to make the decisions. And so the people around him got hurt, got killed, while somehow Draco lived and lived, chance after chance, and when would it stop? Draco landed at the same time as the others, trying to push away his maudlin self-laceration. Potter was clearly thinking of nothing but the task at hand, jamming the struggling key into the lock. It escaped him as soon as the door opened, like a snitch less grateful than their kind usually were for their overlord Potter to have graced them with his touch. Ready? Potter asked them, and when Draco forced himself to nod along with the others, Potter opened the door. The dark room came alight to the sight of a larger-than-life-sized chessboard, and Merlin Draco had always hated chess. Father had tried so many times to tutor him in it, calling it an early pathway to strategic thinking, but it just made his head hurt. It began to hurt again at the mere sight of tall black stone chessmen nearby, and worse at the sight of the white chessmen facing theirs without faces at all. Now what do we do? Potter whispered. It's obvious, isn't it? said Weasley. We've got to play our way across the room. There was another door behind the white pieces. It was all like some macabre version of a children's game. The only real question was whether death awaited for anyone who lost. How? said Granger nervously, and impulsively Draco reached out and squeezed her hand. He told himself it was for her even though he knew it was him who needed the reassurance. I think, said Weasley, we're going to have to be chessmen. He walked up to a black knight and put his hand out to touch the knight's horse. At once the stone sprang to life. The horse pawed the ground and the knight turned his helmeted head to look down at Weasley. Do we, uh, have to join you to get across? The black knight nodded. Weasley turned to the other two. This wants thinking about he said. I suppose we've got to take the place of four of the black pieces. They stayed quiet, watching Weasley think. Finally, he said, now, don't be offended or anything, but Harry, Hermione, neither of you are that good at chess. Malfoy, I don't know if you... I'm awful, Draco said. Father had said any of their house elves could give him a run for his money. You do it, Weasley. We're not offended, said Potter quickly. Just tell us what to do. Well, Harry, you take the place of that bishop. Malfoy, you take the place of that first pawn on the left. And Hermione, you go there instead of that castle. What about you? I'm going to be a knight, said Weasley. 
Even with the mounting terror building layer over layer over him, Draco had to roll his eyes. Of course, the gallant Sir Ronald the Redhead. See, that's something none of your brothers can say, is it? Have any of them even been a knight? Draco jibed. Instead of sniping back, a slow smile spread across Weasley's face. No, no, I suppose they haven't. The chessmen seemed to have been listening, because at these words a knight, a bishop, a castle and a pawn turned their backs on the white pieces and walked off the board, leaving four empty squares for them to take. White always plays first in chess, said Ron, peering across the board. Yes, look. A white pawn had moved forward two squares. Ron told Draco to move forward to counter it, and though he found himself regretting every single life choice that had led to him putting his life at the hands of the intelligence of a Weasley, he obeyed. They all moved silently wherever Weasley sent them. Draco managed to tell himself it was going well, until their other knight was taken. The White Queen smashed him to the floor and dragged him off the board where he lay, very still, face down. Had to let that happen, said Weasley, looking shaken. Leaves you free to take that bishop, Hermione. Go on. Every time one of their men was lost, the white pieces showed no mercy. Soon there was a huddle of limp black players slumped along the wall, leaving Draco thinking bleakly about how that posture would look on a human body. His own, or worse, Potter's. Twice Weasley only just noticed in time that they were in danger. He himself darted around the board, taking almost as many white pieces as they had lost black ones. We're nearly there, he muttered suddenly. Let me think, let me think. The White Queen turned her blank face towards him. Yes, said Ron softly. It's the only way. I've got to be taken. No! Harry and Hermione shouted, and Draco knew at that moment that he and his presence had ruined it. There had only been three human pieces for Weasley to worry about the first time, so he must have won the game cleanly. After all, they all survived, coming out the other side cheering smarmily for Gryffindor as they won the cup. But with Draco as one too many, too much dead weight for Weasley to carry, the first sacrifice to the red line had come. Ronald Weasley. That's chess, snapped Weasley, while Draco looked around frantically, to try and see if Weasley had missed any possible moves. You've got to make some sacrifices. I'll make my move and she'll take me. That leaves you free to checkmate the king, Harry. But, Gryffindors, Draco interrupted, shaking his head. He put on his best air of false confidence to make them listen, because no matter what happened going forward, Weasley could not be sacrificed. If he died, if any of them died, any dream of the victory from the Blue Loop died with them. Listen to yourselves. Before we start martyring ourselves, has it occurred to any of you to question whether one might substitute a human for a piece on the board? Granger looked around quickly, only to pale further. No, Draco, look. Even if we could, there's no other knight on the board. She looked over at the furled black pieces along the wall, which showed no signs of ever returning to life and being able to be ordered. If they could have, Draco supposed, nothing would have theoretically stopped a player from running over, getting the lost piece, 
and pulling it right back beside where it had been taken from on the board. That was, if they could leave the board at all. And no other piece moves like a knight, Potter asked Weasley, though he seemed to know even before Weasley nodded. Weasley isn't a knight, Draco said crossly. He's a human. He's in the position of a knight, because... Could another human switch places with him, take the tile for a knight, and move as a knight? The trio exchanged confused stares. Draco felt like he was slipping outside his body already, as he walked sideways from his place to Weasley's in a languid stroll. Walking out of his skin to stand, watching a memory in a pensive that belonged to someone more deserving. The board didn't seem to register his move sideways as a legitimate move, because pawns couldn't move that way. Nor, he knew, could knights move purely sideways without a diagonal. He didn't know if it would work, but he knew what he meant to do, which was more than could be said for the others. Draco, Weasley said, gaping at him as Draco stepped onto his tile. Why are you here? It had been a gamble just leaving his tile, with the off chance it could mean forfeiting the game or being killed at once. Once he was allowed to reach Weasley, though, something in him told him the switch would work. "'What does it look like, Weasley?' Draco asked, impatiently sneering at him. "'Are you being deliberately slow? Go to my tile!' Weasley didn't move. "'You can substitute a human for a human, it seems. Go be a pawn.' No title, Sir Ronald, but better life expectancy. Draco! Granger yelled, strident and tearful. What are you doing? It wasn't like he hadn't just answered that. Taking Weasley's place, he said, very deliberately, as if the Gryffindors were so stupid he had to enunciate each syllable individually for them to understand. Have you lost the ability to speak the language? Go on, then. Aren't you all desperate to stop the stone being taken? Keep wasting time being sentimental, and it'll be gone. Draco, Weasley said, staring at him in their shared tile, his ruddy twelve-year-old face unable to comprehend what was happening. Are you trying to sacrifice yourself instead of me? It only makes sense. Draco snapped, before turning to glare at a frozen Potter and Granger. You need him. You don't need me. That's not true, Granger yelled. Slowly, as if in a dream, Draco watched the fall of a tear down her face, like someone other than Draco Malfoy was about to die. Weasley, Draco said, I'm useless and you know it. I'm no good at any of this heroic bit. I just freeze up. Potter needs you, so don't be stupid. It's the three of you. It's always going to be the three of you. So take my spot. Call the play and win the game. And if you stick around wasting time once it's won, I'll cheer from the afterlife when Quirrell drinks your blood. Well... But Draco, Ron said, face a mask of horror. You don't even like me. I don't even like any of you, Draco said, and shoved him off the tile. 
Stumbling, ashen-faced, Weasley took the tile Draco had vacated. Draco, Potter called from behind him. Draco, listen, I have to tell you, shut up, Potter, said Draco and faced forward. He stepped two forward, one diagonal, and then the White Queen sprung forward. The last thing he heard was Granger's scream before the stone arm struck. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget.